This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To learn more, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. Welcome. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast for Lehigh University's College of Business. Today is November 5th, 2021, and we're talking with Rebecca Wong and Matthew Isaac about the recent study they co-authored with Dr. Isaac's colleague, Carl Obermiller, titled, The Downside of Divinity, Reputational Harm to Sectarian Universities from Overtly Religious Advertising, was published in the Journal of Advertising. Dr. Wong is an assistant professor of marketing in Lehigh's College of Business. Her research reflects her interests in marketing, data science, and technologies, and focuses on digital and mobile channels, social media, and data-driven marketing. Dr. Isaac is a professor of marketing at Seattle University, a Jesuit Catholic university in Seattle, Washington. His research focuses primarily on consumer judgment and decision-making, examining how contextual and motivational factors influence product evaluations and purchase intentions. Dr. Isaac, Dr. Wong, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks for having us. Uh, in an op-ed you, you also co-wrote with Dr. Obermiller for Higher Ed Drive, you concluded, and I quote, in short, as leaders at religious schools navigate the challenges of demonstrating the value of higher education and managing enrollment, they need to realize that there may sometimes be a tangible and financial downside to divinity. So let's start with, uh, start in the beginning, What was the impetus for doing a study on how overtly religious advertising affects potential students' perceptions of a university or college's academic uh, reputation? Yeah, actually, um, this this project has been a long time in the making. I think uh, the the starting point was probably about seven or eight years ago. Uh, I was on um, a committee at Seattle University, which was looking at rebranding the university and and trying to understand how our um, universities perceived. And as part of that work, we conducted some market research with uh, current as well as prospective students in the area. And one thing we were interested in finding out uh, was how uh, prospective students perceived our affiliation uh, as a Jesuit and Catholic university. And um, we were actually very surprised that um, many students uh, really had a very different perception of some of uh, those words, especially the religious framing of the university than we had expected. And it started making us wonder whether the way in which we communicate and present uh, ourselves as a, re- uh, as a religious university was potentially uh, affecting other kinds of judgments, including um, judgments about uh, the academic reputation of Seattle U. And so that started um, myself and uh, Dr. Obermiller, uh, who's a colleague of mine at Seattle U on this project. And we were thrilled to have uh, Dr. Wong join uh, as well uh, to help us uh, dig into this a bit more. Dr. Wong, what was your interest in this question? Um, so I am always interested in school rankings. Um, and I think that's also a passion that Matt has. Um, and it's interesting to know what kind of framing um, can impact a school's 
um, perceived perception right, by, by students. And I think um, that's an impactful question because every admission officer probably worries about its rankings and how potential uh, students would perceive them every fall, right? So um, just the fact that this is interesting to study and, um, and also, you know, I was able to help with some of the analyses. Uh, so, uh, but like I said, this really was Matt's project uh, in terms of the inception of the idea. For the purposes of this study, what did you consider as overtly religious advertising? That's a great, that's a great question. I think we, we looked at a few different things. One, one thing that was interesting to us was trying to understand if even fairly subtle cues uh, could, uh, could make a difference in terms of being, being seen as more or less religious. So, so in this work, we conducted a number of experiments uh, where oftentimes we provided participants with uh, slightly modified descriptions of uh, a university. Sometimes this was a real university. Sometimes this was a fictional university because we didn't uh, want people to bring in their own preconceptions about the university to the experiment. And um, you know, we did a few things. In, in one study, we just manipulated the presence of a logo. So it was the exact same university that was described, but one included a logo featuring a Christian cross, uh, whereas the other a uh, group of participants saw the exact same description, but without the cross uh, presented. Um, in another study, we had uh, information, a little more descriptive uh, information text about the universities, in one case highlighting its uh, religious programs. In the other case, uh, this was de-emphasized a bit. Um, so again, the idea was to keep things pretty similar, but to try to understand if these small cues, be, the, be they logos or uh, text descriptions, uh, could make a difference in how uh, participants judged uh, the academic reputation of the, uh, the university in various disciplines. Is there anything you want to add to that, Dr. Wong? Just a school self, this prescribed description and its mission, um, perhaps some mentions of its religious values and traditions. I think the word tradition is probably one of the key words. Um, and also anything related to church or Bible, Christianity, of course, even Christmas and faith. Uh, all of these particular words can signal a school's reli religiosity. Yeah, actually, uh, Dr. Wong did... Um a really interesting analysis for us because we wanted to understand uh, whether there was variation uh, in the amount of religious language that's being used on websites of sectarian universities. So, so there are, there are about 879 uh, sectarian uh, or non-secular universities in the U.S. And we were curious uh, whether if we looked at the homepages of these universities, whether we would find uh, differences in the amount of religious content. Um, and so um, I, I don't know, uh, Rebecca, if you wanna talk a little bit about that analysis, but I think that was really valuable in kind of convincing us that there really is, there, there's a lot of differences in how universities communicate. Yeah, so there, there really is a wide range. So um, what I did was, there's a list of, uh, I guess, Catholic universities in the U.S. Um, 
maybe 200 or so web links. So what I did was I looped through all the web links um, and basically scraped the texts um, from those home pages and then um, basically calculate, do some simple text analysis and then calculate how many religious words um, using a software um, called Luke. So it's uh, language inquiry of word count um, by Dr. Pennebaker. Um, so it's a very established method, established dictionary. So using that dictionary, um, I looked at how many words are considered religious and how many words of these uh, web pages um, are used. What's the percentage of that? And it really is a wide range. I think some universities may only have um, you know, a half a dozen, and some can literally uh, range in the hundreds, right, of just the homepage alone. Um, yeah, so, and some of the words that really show up, you know, like the ones that I just said, uh, so uh, church being one, faith being one, uh, saint is a big one as well, uh, theology and seminary, chapel, um, so all of these are um, religious words that would signal whether a school, how religious a school is. One thing I think we uh, realized too from doing this analysis or, or that, that came to mind is that this may not be strategic decisions that are being made by each of these religious universities. So even though we see this variation in the amount of religious content that's appearing on their uh, homepages, we weren't sure if that was really a strategic decision that had been made by um, you know, uh, marketing teams at these universities. And instead, it might have been just the product of legacy uh, web websites and how things have been communicated over time. And, and yet, uh, our thought was this could be having some pretty major impacts on how potential students, potential donors, uh, uh, et cetera, are viewing the university. And so that kind of led us to some of the experimental studies that followed. So let's, let's briefly then um, talk about what some of the main findings from the study that you know, leaders of in particular religious universities and colleges uh, need to know. And we'll come back and, and talk about each of them in, in some detail after, but just kind of the, the highlights of what you found. Rebecca, do you want me to, to start here or do you want to start? Yeah, yes. And you also met with your school, right, to discuss this issue. Yeah, actually, um, it's uh, so, so this, I think for sure, this issue is particularly relevant to religious uh, universities. And ours is one, and and so actually, um, the the board of trustees at our university invited us last uh, last quarter to come in, and talk to uh, the president, the provost, and the board about um, uh, some of the findings from this research and how that might impact uh, religious universities. So it's 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 always great to see uh, the results of academic research being disseminated in that way. And, and in our case, I think it is applicable to Seattle University and other religious universities. And, and so in terms of the main, main findings, I think the, the first is that even these fairly subtle uh, religious cues that we've been discussing um, can, it seems, impact judgments about the quality, academic quality at a university. And yet it that doesn't happen across the board necessarily, but it is very specific to disciplines. So um, it's perhaps not surprising that if a university uh, advertises as being 
uh, or, or comes across as being more religious based on the use of certain cues or content uh, that it is considered to be stronger in religious related disciplines, things like divinity, theology, those kinds of things. Um, and in fact, that's what we find. But what we also see is that the university seems to be penalized in other disciplines. And it's not across the board, as I said. Um, it seems that science and engineering is in, in particular uh, penalized. So we see that universities that when they advertise more in terms of religious uh, cues and icons and things like that, they're seen as being uh, worse in uh, in terms of academic quality for their science and engineering programs. Um, and also we saw a similar effect in other quantitative areas, including business and economics. So, th so that's, I think, one of the big findings that people do seem to make judgments about the university's academic quality, and they do it in this discipline-specific way, uh, where uh, disciplines that are closely related to religion are, uh, we see increased ratings, but uh, disciplines that uh, are more uh, science-focused uh, seem to suffer uh, as a result. And how does uh, the, the concept of zero-sum outcomes and resource allocation factor into what the study found? Zero-sum allocation refers to a person's way of processing um, judgments, basically, and they assume that um, people make trade-offs in their decisions. Um, so in this case, right, science versus religion, you would automatically assume that one strength would come at the cost of the other, um, because the idea is you only have so many resources available, so it is zero sum. So if one is stronger, then the other one must be weaker because the total sum of resources stays fixed. Um, so zero sum allocation is essentially um, a short way of saying that. So since humanities and uh, religious studies or perhaps even art history and literature are more, they lean toward more theology and, and religion, you know, it's more closely aligned with that um, than, you know, so when I make a judgment, you know, a religious school uh, is very strong, right? Uh, and it seems uh, to put a lot of emphasis and focus and perhaps even resources on, on religion. So they must have taken away from, from science. And, and just to add to that, I mean, I, I think the interesting thing is in our experiments, it wasn't the case that participants had to assume zero-sum thinking. So uh, they could have, you know, we we showed them an, an advertisement or a description of a university which was either more, slightly more or slightly less religious. And then we asked them to evaluate the quality of the university along in, on various dimensions. And they could have given us high ratings on all of them. We didn't tell them that there was this uh, as any zero sum uh, at work here. So they could have provided higher ratings across the board, but they didn't. What we found is they engaged in this zero sum thinking where they increased evaluations of these uh, religious and arts humanities, more qualitative type uh, disciplines, but they decreased significantly evaluations of the science disciplines. And we also had some studies where we asked about resources directly. Um, and 
we found that participants seem to think that a university that is advertising its religious background is probably devoting relatively more of its fixed resources to uh, disciplines like divinity and theology and relatively less to science and engineering. And that's, that's an issue for sure for religious universities, given the growth uh, and interest in STEM and STEM fields. The last thing a university like Seattle U, even though it is a religious university, wants to communicate is that it's not investing in, um, in STEM. Now, one of the most fascinating things I saw in the study is, um, and I'll quote, that everyone engages in zero-sum thinking about science and religion, at least to some extent, irrespective of whether they themselves are religious or not. What should we take away from that finding? Tension between religion and science has always existed. So dating all the way back to the Middle Ages, um, I guess when you believed that, you know, at that time, if you believed the sun revolves around the earth, uh, and then you, if you say, you know, otherwise they say, ah, oh, you know, you should be burned at the stakes, right? So, um, so fundamentally, I think the two require, right? Religion versus science, they require reasoning from very different perspectives. And it, it has a historical, uh, it has a history of that. And we can track that it dates back hundreds of years. And also fundamentally, religion uh, and science, they establish truths differently. Uh, so religion, right? If I were religious, uh, truth is grounded in, uh, it's a non-empirical system, if you will, that relies on my ultimate commitment to faith. Right? And science, on the other hand, it's all about empirical observations and, and logic and evidence. Right? It does not require that commitment to faith. Um, in fact, it uh, right, repels it. Right? Everything should be evidence-based. So I think it's because of this, di- uh, this conflicting archetypes b- between the two uh, that, that makes people, uh, and, and the fact that there is a history that we look back on that people fundamentally trade off uh, between science and religion. Um, so I think uh, because of that, when considering you know, how good or how academic a university is, right, individuals might be more inclined to look at these religion programs right, as you know, religious-related programs like literature and, and art history and the humanities to be stronger in a religious setting as opposed to as opposed to science. And again, I think it's because uh, people rely on uh, zero-sum thinking and zero-sum thinking automatically kicks in, particularly because this opposite tension between religion and science. You could follow up with, with Dr. Isaac on this, that what's particularly interesting to me about, about this is that even those who consider themselves religious were less likely to rate the science programs highly. And there, I understand there's probably less of a difference than those who do not, but still that there's something going on, even with those, um, you know, who have a, a strong faith tradition in kind of questioning that conflict between science and religion. I would say that we were surprised by the data a bit. You know, I, I think we thought that maybe 
um, we might see some sort of halo effect among uh, religious individuals where uh, and th they, they might view a university that uh, advertises uh, heavily in terms of religion to be strong across the board, um, but, but maybe we'd find a different pattern among those who um, self-reported as non-religious. And that's not what we found. So, so I, I'm, I agree that it was, it was a little bit surprising, but, but to, to uh, Rebecca's uh, point, I think this could be uh, driven not necessarily by this conscious acceptance or belief in this uh, religion science narrative. This, I think for many people that that's this conflict narrative we, we may not really believe it, uh, irrespective of where you fall in terms of your religious be beliefs. We know that there are many scientists who are religious, uh, and uh, you know, so it, it's not necessarily that these that this conflict must be, but mm -hmm. it could be something that's driven by just um, our almost uh, this unconscious kind of relationship that we have. Uh, uh, you know, become associated with over the years, that it, it shows up when we're making these kinds of judgments, um, even if we don't uh, specifically adhere to this conflict narrative. The three authors on this this study are all in business schools, and I also found it interesting that in addition to the way that STEM programs are perceived by students based on overtly religious advertising that so are, are schools business and economics programs. What's going on with that? I think it's probably because people think about science and religion or, you know, hard science, soft science on the spectrum. So even though we do see the effects being strongest for STEM fields, but we still observe that effect with business and economics fields because we still rely on data and, and evidence, right, in, in business arenas, whereas humanities and, and literature really, it's relatively speaking more aligned with religious studies. So that's my take. <laughs> yeah. And and you know we we ran uh, six experiments with almost twenty five hundred participants for this for this article, and I think uh, in general what we find is uh, this positive effect of religious advertising on judgments of disciplines re directly related to religion, theology and ministry, religious studies, and we find a very uh, clear negative uh, effect when you when you're looking at science and engineering, but it was almost as strong for business and economics. For arts and humanities, the, the effects were a little more mixed uh, and harder to document across studies, but I, I would definitely agree with Becky that um, we, we certainly seem to think it's related to logic and quantitative methods, uh, and that is something that is constant or consistent between STEM and business and economics, and maybe less so when you think about religious studies or uh, or even arts and humanities. And so that could explain why we see this pattern. Okay, I think that kind of brings us to the main takeaways here, lessons that others could learn from this, particularly um, as the study mentions, uh, interest in, in STEM education is increasing the number of students who, who are seeking to major in the STEM field and get those degrees. So 
for those universities that are looking to attract people to science and engineering, as well as technology and, and mathematics, or, you know, for that matter, for business and economics, what is the main takeaway? It, it seems like if you have programs in both religion studies and science and engineering, that a one-size-fits-all approach is not the best way to go. Right. Um, so I think it's important for a university to uh, segment their students by their intended majors or interests, and then you know craft personalized messages, emphasize more or less of uh, a university's strength um, or religious background, because you don't really know whether you know, there isn't a one size fits all, right? I'm sending the same message to, to everyone. Um, you know, some people might be more interested in humanities and, and that probably would be the right message to them. But then if someone else is interested in STEMs, especially STEM fields are growing both in terms of student interest and also degrees awarded in recent years, it's very hard um, for them to be uh, perceiving your school to be uh, to be better than, than others if you send just a blanket message. So I think it's important to do some sort of customization. And I, I think one of our central messages is not that we're telling religious universities they have to walk back away from uh, being a religious university, especially if that's a key part of their identity, but really just to be aware of how communicating their uh, the religious aspect of their identity might have repercussions that they were uh, not aware of, mm-hmm. um, and and so I think it's it could be as simple as just being extra careful to to really communicate the the STEM aspects or the science the science uh, aspects of the university earlier. Um, you know, you might do both, but maybe in a communication about Seattle U, we, we should be stressing uh, the fact that we have a new center for uh, science and innovation earlier in the message so it doesn't get lost or overlooked because people really seem to focus on uh, religious cues. So, that, so that's, I think, one, one big takeaway. The other thing I'd like to mention, too, is that um, even though our work looked Uh, just at religious advertising in the context of higher education, I think that there could be some implications for this work for the many other types of religious organizations that are out there uh, outside of higher ed. There are many hospitals, you can think of uh, Mm -hmm. donation centers, charities, etc. And it could be that for all of these religious organizations, consumers might be making these kinds of judgments that they may not realize based on the fact that they are using uh, religious cues more or less in their communications. I do think that the zero sum idea is is pretty interesting theoretically, you know, and that's something where um, I think there could be a lot of work done further, not just in in terms of religion and science, but thinking about you know, when are consumers going to going to make these kinds of zero-sum inferences and when will they not? For example, there's some work in the past showing that if, if you think a product is, is green or sustainable, you might think it's less effective at its intended purpose. And it's really interesting, I think, to understand when and why consumers engage in zero-sum thinking and when they don't. And I think that would be a great, uh, uh, you know, future direction to go from some of this research. 
Well, I'd like to once again thank my guests, Drs. Rebecca Wong and Matthew Isaac. Dr. Wong's research has been published in such leading journals as Journal of Marketing Research, Journal of Consumer Research, Journal of Retailing, Journal of Interactive Marketing, and Computers and Human Behavior. Dr. Isaac's research has been published in Journal of Consumer Research, Journal of Marketing Research, Journal of Marketing, Journal of Consumer Psychology, and Journal of Advertising Research, among others. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To hear more podcasts featuring Lehigh business thought leaders, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu news. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Lehigh Business. This is Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast. Thanks for listening.